Pray with me again if you would. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for the fact that we're able to sing together in response to you and all the great promises that are ours in Christ and even thinking about how the Bible says that we're to sing to one another. Uh, It's a great blessing to us to be able to hear other people singing what is true in response to you and we're thankful for the ministry of the church in that sense. We're also thankful that we're able to listen and be encouraged and have our hearts um, lifted. Thank you so much for your Holy Spirit, who attends the worship, and we're thankful for the fact that you've um, given us the gospel in Christ, and now we're able to hear from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there are three words that I think are perhaps the most dangerous three words that we hear and sometimes unfortunately say that assault biblical Christianity and those three words are not atheism, secularism, and liberalism. In my opinion, the most dangerous three words that we sometimes say or hear are the words, God told me. Now, if it's true that God has revealed himself to us, And it is as sure as Jesus Christ came here to earth. If that is true, there's nothing greater. There's nothing greater than knowing God truly. To have God make Himself known. To have God speak. To have God reveal Himself to us truly. Indeed, there is nothing greater. And we have to have God speaking in order for there to be Christianity. But to say that God says something that he has not said, therefore, is the greatest attack and assault on authentic, genuine, biblical Christianity. And yet people say, God told me again and again and again. And it's one thing that distinguishes almost every false teacher, whether it would be Joseph Smith or it would be the person who says there's nine, uh, there's nine members of the Godhead, Benny Hinn, until the editors told him to change his book, but God told him that. Or it would be the church that officially condemns salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in the finished work of Christ alone. And the list could go on and on. All of them are God-told-me people or institutions. Whereas biblical Christianity needs God to tell us. We need God to speak. We need what we call special revelation. But to offer something as special revelation that's not is therefore the big risk. Listen to these great words from the author of Hebrews about God speaking. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And then it says this in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things. Climactically, ultimately, the high point, the apex, God has spoken and He's spoken through His Son. The argument of the book of Hebrews is we don't need more. We don't need ongoing. We don't need this person or that person or someone else or this institution to keep saying, God told me. God climactically, ultimately, 
radiantly, sufficiently has revealed Himself in His Son, the Lord Jesus, in the Gospel. And it's so interesting that all so many times when someone says, God told me, they end up saying things that are contrary to the once and for all delivered to the saints' faith gospel, to quote Jude. Paul says to Timothy, as a pastor of a church, he says this regarding this once and for all revelation of Jesus Christ, and we don't need more, we don't need to improve it, we can't take away from it. He says this in First Timothy chapter 6. Guard the deposit entrusted to you. And no doubt, in light of that whole book, the deposit that he's to guard spiritually, that deposit is the gospel, the good news about salvation in Christ, that, that it comes freely to us, sinners who believe, that we can't accomplish it on our own, that God doesn't help those who help themselves, because there are no such people. The good news that God gives forgiveness freely because of the great cost that was paid by His Son, Jesus. Timothy, guard that sacred trust. Guard it from the God-told-me people who want to somehow add to it or take away from it. Guard it. It's the once and for all delivered faith. He says, avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge or falsely called revelation. Then he says, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. It's a huge, huge, huge big deal to have God who has made himself known. But we must remember he's made himself known ultimately again, climactically, with an exclamation point. Last page in the book, because it's the best page in the book, it's what we've all been waiting for in the finished work of Christ. And He's ascended and we're waiting for Him to come back, resting in that great promise that would come from Him. Well, all of this is to say, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul has to deal with the God-told-me people. Okay? He's got to silence the God-told-me false apostles who were in the ears and in the lives and in the hearts of professing Christians, seeking to lead them astray with new revelation. Oh, you've got the gospel from Paul. You've got the gospel about Jesus of Nazareth. But we have a different gospel. We have a different Jesus. In fact, they, Paul uses those labels to assign to the God-told-me people. Because again, they have such power. There's such power in revelation. Because if it's really true that God has said something, then you should believe it. You must believe it. It's not an option to not believe it. And so think about how easy this happens and how easily people are misled and how easily false teachers are manipulative. God told me. God told me. God told me. We better listen. And so Paul in chapter 12 has to silence those individuals. Okay, here's what's going on in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, well, in, in, in chapter 11, he... Let's not, let's not go there yet, sorry. So much to think about, so much to talk about. The church at Corinth, the, the Apostle Paul planted himself by preaching the gospel... People came to faith in Christ. There's a church established there. But again, these ones that Paul calls false apostles. So they claim the authority of, of, of Jesus. 
they're undermining him as a true apostle of Jesus. Okay? And so he's got to show them, show the Corinthian Christians, that what I'm representing, the Apostle Paul, is the truth about Christ. Okay? I'm qualified, in other words. He's going to argue later in the book, not today, that he saw the risen Christ and, and heard from the risen Christ. So he therefore has credibility and legitimate authority, not like these prankster faker guys. Okay? So that's what 2 Corinthians is about. And in chapter 11, he uses great sarcasm, great irony, biting irony, because he's to the point where he's saying, okay, these guys keep bragging about all their qualifications. Well, let me brag, which is not what Christians do. But he needs to silence them. And now he gets to chapter 12. They claim special revelation from God. They are God told me people. And the Apostle Paul has to say, all right, you, you think you've got special revelation? I'm going to tell you about special revelation, okay? He's matching wits with them and outdoing them, okay? Have you found Second Corinthians yet? I hope you have. So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at chapter 12, the first, first 10 verses, and he's addressing those, again, who would claim special new revelation from God, and, he's going to, and they're perverting the gospel by doing so, and he's going to respond to them. Let's just start working our way through the first 10 verses today. It says in verse 1, I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. So that's, where I, that's why I use the introduction I use. They're bragging about visions and revelations. New data from God, new insights to come up with a new gospel. And the Apostle Paul says, I'll talk to you and I'll match wits with you about visions and revelations. Again, God told me kind of stuff. I've got a special experience that qualifies me like no one else has experienced. That's where that comes from. Now, you do need to notice, I think in verse 1, I must go on boasting. Might not make a lot of sense might seem inappropriate. In fact, if you're just reading this and you haven't been with us, I hope that seems inappropriate. Because it is inappropriate. He talked about that in chapter 11. Christians don't boast. In fact, in chapter 10, Christians don't boast about themselves. Christians don't brag. Chapter 10, verse 17, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Christians of all people shouldn't be boasting about themselves when it comes to anything spiritual. Because Christians know that salvation is by grace alone, right? Right? It's a free gift. We don't earn it. It's what Christ has accomplished. Every good gift comes from above. Christians are boasting in Christ. He's a perfect Savior. He, he, he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. Isn't He great? Isn't He great that He could forgive sinners like me? Sinners like you? All we can talk about is our problem. Christ is amazing. Christ forgives to the uttermost. He's God's final climactic revelation. He's the ultimate one. He's the only one that, that God had ever, has ever said this about. My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Oh, we boast, all right, but we boast in Christ, right? But these false apostles are talking about themselves. I, 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 whether I learn this, I know this, I sound like this, I have this many followers, I have all of this wealth, I have all of this prosperity, I, 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 I. And now in chapter 12, it's, and I've had special visions. God told me, I've had special new revelation, so you've got to come to me. 
And the Apostle Paul says, all right, you want to play that game? I'll stoop to your level and I'll play that game. But it's all with a bit of sarcasm. It's all with a bit of, this is inappropriate. But I think out of love for the Corinthians who've been duped, who've been misled, he's finally willing to talk like he's never talked before in all of Scripture and stoop to that level and start boasting about his own accomplishments. Because if that's what it's going to take to get you to listen, let's match wits with those guys. In fact, I'm going to outdo them. They say God told me. Let me tell you. You you guys with me? You okay? Okay. I think I'm okay. Maybe. By now. Verse 2 says, I know a man in Christ. And we're going to see... He's talking about himself, but he's, he's creating distance, right? He, he, he doesn't want to sound like this. He, he, he wants it to not be all about him. This is not the Apostle Paul's shtick, okay? This, is not, this isn't normal for him to talk this way. I know a man in Christ, that would be a Christian, united to Christ by faith. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I, and I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Again, he's speaking about himself, we're going to see. But maturity for him says, I'm going to distance myself. Immaturity, right? Faker, McFakerhood, false apostles. They they would make it all about. And I experienced this, right? That's how they're busy talking, and he doesn't want to sound anything like them, even though he's matching wits with them. Fascinating. He downplays something extraordinary, which is counterintuitive. I want to upplay the extraordinary. The false teachers are upplaying the extraordinary, and he's saying, I'm actually going to not upplay the extraordinary, but since we're talking about this, I'll go ahead and tell you about this. Paradise, connected with third heaven, apparently they're the same thing. Maybe first heaven would be, you know, where the birds are, the birds fly in the heavens uh, above us, where we can't be uh, up in the clouds. We could talk about moving to the clouds. Maybe that's second heaven. Or maybe the star, second heaven. And then if you go beyond where anybody could go, beyond where anybody could see, where where God lives, in other words, third heaven. In in ancient literature, people talk about different levels of the heavens, and the heavens are declaring the glory of God. Well, that's that's what we can actually see. And so we could do a whole theology and talk about the three, three heavens, and we don't need to do that. It's paradise, where God is. I know a man who in Christ, was it in the body? Or I I, I don't know. I don't know all the details. And how about, and I'm not going to make up details. Right? I'm not like the guy who when he was asked what heaven smells like because he went to heaven. Well, I I can't really describe it. Whenever I want to remember what heaven smells like, I just wear this tie because it still smells like heaven. Paul, right? If he doesn't know something, he's not Mr. Creative Dude to have more followers. There was a real experience, and it was extraordinary, but I can't tell you the details. I don't even know the details. And I'm not going to make it up. Paradise. It's actually a word that's sometimes used, uh, and it's translated. uh, It's it's used of of the Garden of Eden. 
or it's used in that context. I was caught up to paradise. I was caught up to a garden. I was caught up to something like the Garden of Eden where there's peace and tranquility and people are at peace with God. I love it. I can't help myself because I like theology so much and I'm a Christian and I know my Bible well enough, not as much as I want to know, but I know it well enough. I know a man in Christ, united to Christ by faith, who was caught up into paradise, into the garden. A garden like the Garden of Eden, but better, right? How does that happen? It only happens if you're in Christ, in the true and better Adam. It's great. There's even great theology here and it's not even the point. Caught up, he was raptured. Don't tell me you don't believe in the rapture. It's right here. This is one rapture passage that whether you're pre, mid, post, or whatever, we can all agree. He was caught up. He had his own personal rapture. In the presence of God, unique, extraordinary. Verse 4 says, And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Notice the contrast, no doubt, as he's matching wits with the faker apostles. This man heard things that cannot be told, which may not, which man may not utter. So it's not, and I did a book deal, speaking tour. I did interviews with, you know, bouffant hairdo people on weird TV channels. There's none of that. I experienced the extra, extraordinary. And I'm not supposed to talk about it. Now, maybe at least in principle we could learn something about that. So here's here's a godly person. Let's take it. A legitimate apostle receives legitimate revelation from God. And the last thing on his mind is a speaking tour. The first thing on my mind would be a speaking tour. The extraordinary. And here's the extra, extraordinary, and it's real. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to create the haves and have-nots Christians. We're not going to divide the body of Christ and have this shenanigans going on. And I think he's saying, I'm looking at you, false apostles. A couple of haircuts ago, I was getting my haircut. Not in heaven, by the way. Um, but I would like a book deal. Getting my haircut, went to a different place that I normally go to. Um, and the person cutting my hair told me that God showed her hell. I can't remember if she went there or not. I don't want to misspeak. But God showed her hell. Now, thankfully, she told me that I didn't want to go there, and I agreed. And I think she said that God showed her heaven as well again, but I know for sure hell, and I think heaven as well. And she was telling me all the details about heaven, or excuse me, about hell. I think about heaven too. And so again, I'm glad she told me not, I didn't want to go there because it's bad. But the strange thing is, when I talked to her, she didn't know how to get to heaven. 
So you know what? I, I don't think she went to heaven and I don't think she saw hell. Because surely if God showed her hell, he would tell her not to go, how not to go there. Not trying to be mean-spirited, not trying to be harsh, but I am trying to say common sense. The most important thing would be how to go to heaven and how not to go to hell. And if God is going to tell you something, surely he would tell you that. But it's common. It's just ordinary for people to say, God told me. And now all of a sudden, she's got something on me that I don't have. I just have this Bible that I have to read and it creates, you know, work and effort and I have to cross-reference to make sure I understand what it means by what it says and I have to listen to sermons. And she's a have and I'm a have not. I think legitimate, special revelation that comes outside of the Bible, if we're going to at least learn from the Apostle Paul, it's God issued a gag order. The people have what they need to have. We're not going to do this game. Verse 5 says, On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast. Again, trying to create this distance. Except of my weaknesses. So if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. Like, I'm a great sinner and I need to be saved. And I don't have it all together. You want, I would boast about that. Then it says in verse 6, Though if I should wish to boast... I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. So let's stop there for a second. If I, if I did, I wouldn't be a fool looking at you, false apostles. little name-calling inadvertently. If I did boast about my experience, I wouldn't be a fool because I'd be telling the truth. Because it really happened. Looking at you, false apostles. Not you, but that, that's the idea. They didn't actually experience it, Paul is saying and implying. And so their boasting makes them fools. They're not to be trusted. They don't know what they're talking about. Again, this is pretty harsh. Because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Christians boast in Christ. They don't boast in self. It's not I, 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 and now, and by the way, if I, 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 I hear from God, and you, 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 you don't, I boast, 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 boast in self. If we're going to do any boasting, let's boast about how pathetic and weak and incapable we are because we're going to actually be wanting to boast in the greatness and the glory and the promises that come to us in Christ freely. We don't deserve them. Just, please just think, use common sense and say, do, do you really realize what you're saying when you say, God told me? They might be sincere, but it's, it's possible to be sincerely wrong. And Paul's putting those kinds of people in their place. It's pretty hardcore. Second Corinthians is not like, you know, the great starter of a sermon series. 
There's a reason I've waited 20 plus years to preach through 2 Corinthians, right? We just got some new chairs this past week because the auditorium has been getting full. Maybe we shouldn't have ordered them. (laughs) Go for 2 Corinthians. Here you go. I don't know if I like that very much. But I want you to like it because if we're talking about the true, genuine, real article in Christ, what we don't want is for it to be perverted, corrupted, assaulted by somehow, whenever we get this supposed new revelation, somehow the gospel isn't by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone anymore. And it's tragic. Christians boast in Christ. He's boasting in Christ, not in his own true, genuine, authentic experience. Let's move on. I don't want to move on. I want to talk about more things related to this. Maybe just one more thing before we get to verse 7. Sorry. From the very beginning when Paul came to Corinth, if we read chapter 1, I preach Christ to you. Isn't it interesting that he had this real experience that was extraordinary and it's not what he came to Corinth with? He didn't say, oh, I've got to really impress him. I know I could win a lot of converts here. I went to heaven. Smell my tie, right? Let me tell you about my 90 minutes in heaven, right? Time for the book tour. Real experience, but on purpose when he went to Corinth, he said, I chose, I decided, I resolved is the idea, chapter 2, verse 2, to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. In other words, gospel, 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 gospel. Boast in Christ, boast in Christ, boast in Christ. I'm not even going to boast in my real experiences. And as someone has said, what you win them with, you win them too. And that's probably pretty good insight. But you win them with, you win them too. And we can go further and say it's what you have to keep them with. Now we're going to transition. And he's going to talk about how this extraordinary experience didn't make his life better. It didn't make him richer. It didn't make him more relaxed and everything's wonderful now. It actually made his life worse, which it might be something else we might want to take note of. Let's keep moving. In verse 7 it says, So to keep me from becoming conceited, looking at you, fake apostles, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So again, in principle, we're not him, but in principle, you really want to experience something great. Have fun with your new satanic difficulties. (laughs) Because God cares so much that He's going to put a messenger of Satan in your life to make life hard so you're not arrogant and puffed up. Again, I'm not saying that's how it works with all of us, but that's how it worked for him. So careful what you wish for. Right? This thorn in the flesh. People say, well, it's a physical ailment. We know he had physical ailments if we, if we read Galatians. Is it a physical ailment? Maybe. He had physical ailments. 
Um, this thorn could be, could be translated against his flesh. It's causing pain. It's causing infliction. But he goes on to talk about a messenger of Satan. Typically used of angels or humans. Okay? A messenger. So that's why lots of Bible teachers think that it was a person. Okay? A, a, a person promoting lies about him, about God, satanic lies. And it was a, it's a messenger of Satan. Somebody following him around, making his life hard, making his life difficult. And so let's take a vote which view we should take. We don't, he doesn't tell us for sure. We know he had physical problems. We know he had physical weaknesses. We also know that people were out to get him, even like these faker apostles. That's not who's in view here because this has you know, been going on for 14 years. We don't have to decide. But what we do see is this messenger of Satan is sent. It would seem to imply that this is caused by God. God wouldn't want him to be conceited. Satan would want him to be conceited. God doesn't want him to be conceited, so he's received this thorn in the flesh, this messenger from Satan, and it's making life harder. It's not making life easier. It's problematic to have this. There is something to notice here about the sovereignty of God, isn't there? Martin Luther said, even the devil is God's devil. God is ultimately in charge even to use sinful, bad, evil beings and their messengers for the good of one of his own children. That's a pretty big concept to try to get your mind around. Maybe one takeaway would be that when Christian big shots are all that and loving them himself, perhaps they need some more Satan in their life. Weird to think about. Please don't pray this for me. <laughs> it's not a one another. <laughs> but it's interesting to think about. God cares so much, apparently, about the Apostle Paul. He gave him something great, but he also gave him great affliction so that he wouldn't be conceited and arrogant. Again, let's step back and kind of observe um, churchianity and big shots. doesn't usually look like there's much satanic affliction going on. And the message they're trying to communicate to their funders would be, if you're godly, you'll be like me and life will be great. And the Apostle Paul is seemingly up against that kind of thing in Corinth. And if anything, he's arguing the opposite. I'm legitimate. I had the legitimate, extraordinary experience. And you know what? My life is worse because of it. So please, 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 Mr. and Mrs. Gullible Christian living in Corinth, don't conclude because I've got a pretty hard life, whether it be the physical stuff or the pestering difficulties, that that means I'm disqualified. As a matter of fact, you can make a connection between the two, two issues going on here. Extraordinary experience actually made life harder. Let's move on to verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. 
that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is made perfect or mature or brought to, to, to maturity in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Wasn't what I was looking for, but the Lord is working and the Lord made it clear to me that His maturing process in my life and my spiritual growth and my spiritual benefit is actually uh, growing and, and maturing and coming to fruition. God's will is being done in my life. And how does it happen? It happens through weakness. I've got to look to Christ for my help. I've got to look to Christ for my help spiritually. I've got to look to Christ for my help ultimately in resurrection physically. I've got to look outside of my circumstance. I've got to look to Him. So I'm going to keep boasting in my weakness and I'm going to keep looking to Him and that's actually how God works. Again, 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 apparently in Corinth, they're being misled and taught the opposite. When you're strong and mighty, well, boy, God is blessing. God is on your side. God is maturing you. And we believe the same load of garbage. We're so gullible too sometimes. And, and, and we hear it and it's sold to us in the name of gospel. It's sold to us in the name of God. And we somehow think when everything's great, it means God's for us. And when things are bad, maybe God isn't for us. And the, the reality is from the Apostle Paul's life, it's the opposite. And so that, that works for us. I realize none of us in this room are defending our apostleship. If you are, you're at the wrong church, okay? Just saying. Or maybe you're at the right church. But we are all in a broken, fallen world facing difficulty from other fellow broken, fallen people. And the Lord does tell us and teach us here and elsewhere that power is perfected in weakness. The Lord's power, the Lord's growth. And we should remember that and know that. Then it says, if we move on in verse 9, therefore I will boast all the more gladly, I guess we did read that, of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Again, I want the power of Christ in my life and I want the power of Christ resting on me. I mean, that just sounds awesome. You know, just do an out-of-context survey. Who here among Christians would like to, to experience the power of Christ in your life? Me? I do. Well, might very well be associated with your weakness and acknowledging your weakness and acknowledging your only hope in life and death would be Christ. Again, I don't like this. I'm not praying for this. Oh God, please. Make my life bad. We're not called to stoicism, right? We're not we're not called to, to, to grumpy McGrumpyville. Self-loathing. Right? Good gifts from God. I'm so thankful I've got good things, right? Whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So again, it's not, let's keep making up places. Mopey McMopeville. We're not called to be that, but at the same time, counterintuitively, when things are hard, I'm not going to look to, oh, I'm sure glad I bought all that stuff. 
when things are hard and things are failing, you see that all the stuff which might have its good place is not where it's at. Ultimately, it's, it's the one who has power over death and the one who has power over suffering. So we're strengthened. That, see, that's the, that sounds like maturity. I like talking with older people who get this better than I get it. I like talking to people who, who have had enough stuff and they've walked with the Lord enough years. Sometimes even unbelievers understand this. You say, well, what would you like for Christmas? Nothing. What can I get, what can I get you? I don't know. If you ask me that, I got a huge list. <laughs> I like me some stuff. <laughs> it makes me feel strong. Right? I like that. I got it together. But maturity says, ultimately, it's when you're weak, you get it. And you get it more and more the weaker you are because you get the fact that ultimately it's about Christ, so we're going to boast in Him. I'm so thankful for a resurrected Savior. Verse 10 says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content. I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Probably the kind of list that the false teachers would be criticizing Paul for. He's illegitimate. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Look at him. Persecuted, calamities, weaknesses, insults, hardships. He's weak. Don't listen to what he says. God's obviously not blessing him. And Paul actually says, you know what? I, 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 I step into those. I lean into those. Because my significance is not found ultimately in myself or my circumstances. Isn't it interesting if the Apostle Paul were your grandpa... We don't know if he had, if he was married, not married. Some people debate whether he was married or not married, or why a widower and all this kind of stuff. But let's just let's just make this up. God didn't tell me this. Okay, let's just make this up. And but if somehow you'd read Second Corinthians, you, you you knew the inside scoop. I'd say, hey, Grandpa, Grandpa Paul, tell us again about that time when you went to heaven. Or maybe it would be, hey, Paul, j j just tell us. Just tell us what it smelled like. I'm just kidding. Just, just tell, us, tell us more about it. And, and we know what he would do. We know that he would start talking about Jesus as a perfect Savior. He would boast not in himself. He would boast in Christ because that's actually what we would need. What we would not need is special secret knowledge extraordinary to make us better than other Christians. We would need to know about Christ. So let's remember that. And before we leave, let's remember that when we say 
we have God's ultimate, final, climactic, sufficient word, right? Finalized. When we're saying that, we're, we're, we're talking like Protestants. Protestants, in particular, who, who align themselves with the Protestant Reformation, okay? Uh, we're, not, we're not talking strangely. Strange talk is when we get used to people saying, God told me. That's not how Christians have talked. It's how, it's, it's, it's how cults have talked. It, it's how uh, those who have been called the, the radicals have talked, who discount the Bible. But the, the traditional, classic, Protestant, Reformation-era way for Christians to talk would not be like that. Let me quote a historic Protestant confession, the one that we would use here at this church. The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down or necessarily contained in the Holy Scripture. And then it goes on to say, because there were Faker McFakerville people back then when this was written, then it goes on to say, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelation of the Spirit or traditions of men. I mean, that's just classic Protestant Reformation era. We have God's inscripturated revelation. We don't need more. And the implication is, if you say more, you're not telling the truth. But for whatever reason, we're at a place where we talk like we don't know what we're talking about. And we talk like Christians have not talked in the past who have their senses about them when it comes to the gospel. And so I would just encourage you to talk like Christians have talked. Okay? We should pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're thankful that He Himself came here, that He Himself loved us, even in our state of sin and defiance and of unloveliness. And He suffered His whole life through because this is a sin-cursed world. And we're grateful for the fact that He obeyed Your precepts, that He obeyed Your requirements perfectly, that He did what we have not done or ever could do because of the fallenness of this world. And we're grateful that He did it. And we're grateful that the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross and He went willingly, even though painfully, and that He Himself bore our sins on the cross and that He absorbed Your condemning wrath, the wrath that we deserve because of our spiritual defiance. And we are thankful that He Himself was raised from the dead. That great declaration of victory that he indeed is Jesus Christ the righteous Jesus Christ the one who forgives Jesus Christ the one who is the resurrection and we're staking our eternal destiny on him and his work and we're thankful to know that this is indeed where we can find rest for our souls it's in him Help us to love Him. Help us to love you. Help us to, uh, to, to, to love the giver more than the gift. Because ultimately, it is in you that we trust. In Christ's name we pray, amen.